to uh, the book of John before the year started and seeing, you know, maybe where different staff members should, uh, should be up and, and speaking. When we came across a passage about the, the fields being white unto harvest and Jesus actually um, making that statement while he was in what to him was essentially a foreign country and in Samaria at the time, it occurred to me that, well, this is, this is, this one's easy. We've got to, we've got to hear from our missions pastor, Bruce Coble. And so that's what we're going to do today. Would you welcome Bruce Coble? Actually, I moved to a foreign country in 1971. I moved from Detroit to Nashville. (laughs) And I learned how to say, y'all guys. (laughs) Which interpreted means, um, y'all guys. Uh, Okay, stand with me if you would please and let's read the scriptures. We're in John chapter four. Starting with verse 27, and like I told the earlier crowd, my vision is a little blurred. I've had some work done, uh, but I can still see, but I need your help. Okay, Gabby? Thank you. Let's read. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? I think that Jesus is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows, another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Father, we thank you for all the benefits that you have given us through the hard work of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So we ask you to help us, Father. Help us to see the fields, the work, and help us to see the harvest. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen Amen. and amen. I've been looking forward to sharing with you... uh, as we've gone through the book of John in this year, uh, and we started out obviously in chapter one, and I'd like to read a few verses because chapter one sets the tone for the entire book, and it sets the tone of what Jesus is trying to explain to us about himself and about his father and about the father's plan of redemption for mankind. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, 
but the darkness has not understood it. So as Jesus explains him about himself as the Word, being from the beginning and having created everything, and he being God, and that everything was created by him. But he brought his light to the world, and the world did not acknowledge him or understand it because the world's in darkness. It goes on to talk about in verse 12, Yet all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of a natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And so he starts to talk about all of us and him coming with his light, that we might become the children of God, that we can truly say, God is my father. And so as he expressed himself and started to exhibit all of these things and to reveal God's plan for mankind, he came in the flesh. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus came as a son of God and the son of man. Uh, One of those divine mysteries here, God and man at the same time. But in the flesh, so he could be tempted at all points, just like we're tempted in all things, and yet without sin, because he continued to seek and to do the Father's will. God and man, to redeem mankind, that anybody who would believe on his name, that he is the Son of God, they can become the children of God. Then we saw him baptized. We saw the Holy Spirit come down and descend upon him, heard the Lord say, that he was well pleased with the son. He called his disciples, turned the water into wine in Canaan, did that wonderful miracle. Uh, and then on to the temple, and he cleansed the temple. And isn't it wonderful that he said to the people, you're going to turn my father's house into a marketplace? My father's house. My father's house. As the son of God. And as the son of man, he says, my father's house. It makes us think about when he was 12 years old and his family had come to worship at the temple. And they left and all of a sudden, a day and a half or so out from Jerusalem, they can't find Jesus. Um, Have any of you ever lost your child? (laughs) Have any of you lost your child and it wasn't on purpose? Oh, okay. Uh, uh, We... (laughs) We have. It is the scariest thing. So back to Jerusalem they go, and some of us just came back to this area. And boy, it's work traveling up and down the hills and all of those. And they find Jesus, and Jesus, this is what I've got pictured in my mind. Here comes Joseph and Mary, and um, Joseph has probably got his shoulders back, and he's going to straighten this boy out if he's anything like my father or me. And Jesus just looks at him and said, I was just about my father's business. I'm just at my father's house. And he's looking at Joseph. And he says, I'm about my father's business. I'm about my father's will. And I can't emphasize that enough, how Jesus continued to express all the time, and it made the Jews furious and the Pharisees that God was his father and that he was about the father's business. 
We saw him teach Nicodemus about being born again, about belief in him brings salvation, how unbelief in Christ brings condemnation. And it brought us to the woman at the well and that wonderful story that we all love so much. We sense Jesus' compassion for this woman, this woman of the world who's had an extremely hard life. And he comes and he's thirsty and he's hungry. He's the son of God. He's the son of man. And he comes and he sits down and his disciples take off to go buy some food. And he starts to talk with the woman at the well, as you guys have heard the sermons, and talks about the water where she'll never thirst again. And then she perceives that he's a prophet as he explains her life. And she instantly starts to talk about worship. And um, she says, we worship right here on this hill. It's Mount Grazim. Samaritans had a, a, a temple there. Some of the ruins are still there. There's still Samaritan priests at that very same spot. We saw one. They still offer sacrifice once a year. We saw the spot where they offer sacrifice. And isn't it wonderful what Jesus said? You worship what you don't know. Yes, we worship in Jerusalem, but there's coming a time that those true worshipers are going to worship God in spirit and truth, and God is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And then when she finally talks about the Messiah, he said, I'm him. What a revelation. What a revelation. And so this is about the time that the disciples show up in chapter 4 and in verse 27. And so they show up and they see Jesus talking with this woman and which surprises them. Uh, let alone a woman, a Samaritan woman, who with those were mixed people. They had intermarried by the people who had been moved into that area, by the Assyrians. So the Jews considered them, these people are defiled. They're not true Jews. They're not pure-blooded. And so, and Jesus didn't go there until this time. He always went to the Jews to bring salvation to the Jews. But as the way he is, he does something different and goes to Samaria rather than going around it because he was on his way to Galilee up in the north. And so the disciples see, and uh, they're wondering why he's talking to this woman, but they don't ask. It seems to me they're starting to get it. They know that he's going to explain it eventually. And so the lady sees them, probably uncomfortable with the disciples coming up. She leaves the water jar, the thing that she used to drink out of, but now she's got living water. Off she goes into town and asks the people to come and see, could this be the Christ? And as she says that, she starts to lead the people out of the town back towards Jesus at Jacob's well. And so as this is happening, Jesus is talking with his disciples, and I imagine him looking at these people coming out of the town. Um... Son of God, son of man, he's thirsty, he's hungry, but what has he done? He's ministered life to this woman. I wonder how thirsty Jesus was after he spoke life and living water. Because, you see, he was drinking the same living water himself from his father, the will of the father. And so the disciples are encouraging, please eat something. 
And I love it. He says to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Now, Bruce is one of these disciples, and I'm urging Jesus to eat. And Jesus gives me this line, I've got food that you don't know anything about. And we're thinking, did somebody else give him food? That's what they're talking about. Did somebody else slip in here? Ah, here we go again. He's given us one of those answers <laughs> that we don't understand. <laughs> and so he goes on to explain what his food is. And so he shares with them, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I've got food, fellas. And my food is to do the will of the Father. That's my food. That's what I have an appetite for. That's what I have desires for, is to do the will of my Father. That's my food. And he starts to bring in, again, an explanation about the kingdom of God. Yes, we need to share Jesus Christ. Yes, the fields are white under harvest. But I ask you that, do you understand that just because you taught it, or taught that, or do you see it? Do you see the kingdom? Do you see God's purposes? Do you really believe God is out to redeem every single person on the face of the earth? Do you believe he's going to use all of his people to be lights and not to be hidden on a hill, to be salt, that all of us? You see, mission work is not for those who get a special call from God. I've been to the mountain of God. I've been to Smyrna, and he's told me, <laughs> get thee out of Smyrna and go to Zimbabwe. I've told you before, I came from a strange, I come to a strange country, you think it's strange, and it really is, you know. But God didn't say, Bruce, get thee out of Detroit and move to Tennessee. First of all, I wasn't listening to God. I wasn't saved. <laughs> I came, I left Detroit because I was going to shoot somebody or they were going to shoot me. <laughs> so, in Detroit, we call that the Big Bang Theory, right? right? So... Put a little entertainment, we'll laugh a little, we'll cry a little, do those kind of things, right? <laughs> uh, me, I was just looking for a better life. Anything that would work better for me, anything that would meet my needs more than anything else, even to the point that if Jill wouldn't come with me, our marriage was over because I couldn't take Detroit anymore. I was just stressed out, just really stressed for a number of reasons my needs weren't met. But all my needs are always about earthly things. Always about earthly things. These spiritual needs that I had were minimal because I wouldn't acknowledge them. You just suck it up and you do the best you can. Um, you know what? It didn't make it for me. I don't think it makes it for anybody. Because we too are not just human beings, earthen vessels. We're spirit. We're soul. And they need to be nourished, they need to be fed. But I just went after the earthly things because that's all I knew. Because God was not my father. In fact, I didn't believe much in God. But I didn't know that I really did have a father who was trying to tempt me, murder me, and destroy me. 
And so when we look at Jesus saying, my food is to do the Father's will, this is my desires. Oh, he's trying to share something with the disciples. You guys keep buying this meat, and we have to have that, but that's not the main thing at all. If all we ever desire is food and clothes and houses and all that go with it, we starve our spirit. We shrivel up. We're weak, immature Christians. We're Christians that just, all we do is, um, Hebrews calls them milk drinkers because you have to try to keep learning the same little principles over and over and over the basics of Christianity because you don't put them into practice. They're God's will. But if you put them into practice, it says, you become a meat eater. You start to mature. You discern between good and evil because you practice the good. And the only good that we know is written down on these wonderful pages of our Bible. This is the truth right here. And as we practice the scriptures, we start to put it into place. What do we do? We start to feed our spirit. We start to do God's will. And we grow and we are fulfilled. We are satisfied. We have vision. We have purpose that really means something. Because why? The fields are white unto harvest. And our Christ has done such a work on the cross and then on the resurrection that he's done the work. We just to get to wade right out in the middle of everything and just say, he's real. One of the things that I noticed on this trip to Israel, which I was hoping to happen because it happened to Jill and I several times in the past, uh, there's beautiful churches there and some sacred sites and all of that. But what really started to get the people was when there was nothing there. We went to the wilderness, uh, the area between Jericho and Jerusalem, and it's just burned out hills. It's just dirt and rock and some scrub bushes. That's all it is. Just the Bedouins live out in these areas. And we stopped there and climbed up the hill and stood there and looked out at this vast wilderness, and we thought about Jesus being tempted, which we're going to talk about here. And everybody just got quiet. And they kind of dispersed out after we shared about Jesus being tempted there. Because there was nothing, absolutely nothing there to sustain our Lord except the presence of his Father. Nothing. And he was victorious over Satan because he kept choosing the Father's will. And you think, dirt, rocks, burned out valleys and gullies? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, same thing at Shiloh. Dirt, rock, broken pieces of uh, pottery. Oh, yeah, this is where the tabernacle, this is where they came to worship. This is where the presence of God was. This is where God gave Hannah a miracle. And we shared a, just a little bit and then gave people quiet time, and each person's heavenly father spoke to them. You know what? I don't think one time people ever asked us when lunch was. They were so full spiritually. They heard something from God. And then they were trying to live it out and help each other, and we were trying to serve each other. It was just wonderful in that. But they were full. And we had great meals in hotels there in these large buffets, and we enjoyed the food. But you'd sit at the table, and they talked about everything else but the food because it was inconsequential. Yeah, I got to eat. But Lord, 
is my spirit full. And so Jesus, when he goes out into the wilderness, and he gives us this example about how Satan comes, and Satan always appeals to our flesh. Because he's got nothing, listen close to me, he's got nothing to offer your spirit. Nothing of eternal value. Nothing of the kingdom of God. Nothing. So he'll appeal to our flesh. So as Jesus is out in the wilderness, as the Spirit has led him out there, I'm reading it out of Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Son of man. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, turn these stones and make them become bread. The man was hungry. Okay? But Satan has come to him. And Satan has tempted him. Satan has challenged him as the Son of God. You say you're the Son of God? Prove it. Saints, let me tell you something. We've got nothing we have to prove to Satan. We've got nothing we have to prove to this world. All we've got to do is live for our Father and we'll be light. All we've got to do is obey the Father, we'll be salt here. All we've got to do is just follow Christ and how the Holy Spirit leads us and do the words of Scriptures. And people will say, like these early ones, these people have been with Christ. We've got nothing to prove to this world. Because all we want to do is live and obey the Father because our desire is to police Him because He died for us. We live for a kingdom that's eternal, not this short, temporary stay here. How many funerals do we have to go to before that is the total reality in our life? This is all temporary. How many times? And he looks at Satan and says, we don't live by bread alone, but we live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I love what Job says in Job 23, 12, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. And this is one of the whole points about fasting. Fasting is to just draw us close to the Lord. We lay down food and we unite with God and his word. Just because, Father, my desire is to be with you. I have an appetite for you. Like a deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, Lord. You, my Father. And so I'll set this down, and I'll pray rather than eat. I'll read and fellowship with you, just so I draw, just so I can discipline my body. And I want, just not discipline my body, I want to feed my spirit, Lord. Because I just don't live by bread alone. Before I accepted Christ as my Savior in those 26 years, I lived by bread alone. And what that tells us is, what does that mean? What that means is, I'm going to do everything to feed every appetite I've got in my flesh. Comprende, amigos? Am I telling the truth or not? And I did. And so did you. And I'd eat. 
can get a hangover or whatever you want to do, whatever you want to plug in there. And like a fool, you go back and do it again. And again, why? One of the reasons is we're trying to feed our spirit with things of the world, and it just doesn't work. It will not work. Because we just don't live by bread alone. We have to have the words of God to live by. So I ask you, with all my heart, what's the last thing you heard from God? That's one of the reasons I read my Bible. Boy, it pierces me. It's great. It's good. It sets me free. It, you know, it convicts me, and that's why I can repent. It gives me guidance. It gives me direction. God speaks to me while I'm reading my Bible and that. And boy, it's, it's a, just good stuff. And so many, just lately, God's been saying, Bruce, why have you made me so small in your life? You're letting other things get to you and you worry about it. These, these are nothing, Bruce. I'm your father. I'm the God of the universe. I created the everything. And you're worried about this stuff? And it's affecting the way you live, and it's also affecting where you eat, Bruce. So, I need to hurry along here. So, Jesus totally says no to Satan. Then the devil took him to the holy city and stood him up on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written... He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up on their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And basically he's just saying, I will not do your will, Satan. I will only do God's will. I will not do the will of the word. I don't have to prove who I am to you. Even though you're pushing at my pride to prove that I'm the son of God, I will not test the Lord God. I will not. And what he's referring to here is when Moses was leading the children of Israel in the wilderness. And they were thirsty, and they wanted water for their cattle, and they groaned, and they complained, and we said, we want our water now. Give us water. Man, we ought to turn around and head back to Egypt. You know, there's water back there. There's leeks and all those other wonderful Egyptian foods. And they said, you know, just, we'll go back. Um, in other words, give me my water, and I want my water now. And so Moses was told to strike the rock, and God does a miracle. Water out of a solid rock. But you see, they tested God because they were saying, where's God? Is God even here? Is God involved with us? Is God really leading us? That's how you and I test God. Is God really here? Man, this problem hasn't been solved. I got needs. I need this. I need that. Where's God now? Why is there a delay? God... Testing God is saying, God, you're not here. God, you're not doing anything. That's how you test God. And he, Jesus said, I will not test God. I don't have to jump off the highest point of the temple to prove that God is here. 
because he is here. Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Those who come to him must believe that he is, that he's here right now, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I will not test my God by doubting that he's here. Oh, I wish I could say I'd never do that. But sometimes I struggle to get to the point where I say you are here because I know you are here. And I do it by faith. Of course, I've got history, as many of you do, of God's wonderful presence in our life. All the time, the Holy Spirit is saying to my spirit, oh yeah, you're a child of the King. You have a father. You are his child. You can say, Abba, Father. Oh yes, I'm saved by him and his blood. And I can say, yeah, he's here. He's here. He goes on to continue with the temptation, and the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. That's all Satan has to offer you and me is this world and all of its splendors. And if our appetites are for this world and all of its splendor, we are bowing down and worship Satan as our father. We have physical needs, but our spiritual appetites are much, much greater and much, much more important. And without feasting at the table of the Lord, without taking in his words, we starve ourselves. And if we just feast at the table of the world, Satan's our father. There's just two fathers in the world, Satan and God. John chapter 8 tells us that. The Jews kept saying, oh, God's our father because of Abraham. Jesus said, I was before Abraham. If Abraham was here now, he'd be delighted to see me. <laughs> but said, you're not of your father. You want to kill me and murder me. You're the father. It's, it's Satan, the devil. The devil is a murderer, a liar. There is no truth in him. That's who your father is. Strong words, real strong words. And so Jesus and then David could write about the wilderness. Oh, man about the good shepherd who in the midst of being surrounded by enemies that road from Jerusalem to Jericho was known for the thieves and the robbers there were thousands of places to hide it was a dangerous road to travel and so when he talks about walking through the valley of the shadow of death and fearing no evil he had the good shepherd the father with him in the presence of his enemies he could set a table down in the presence of all of our troubles and the things that try to pull us down, God will always set a table for you to bring you into his presence, to remind you of what he's done and what his promises say in here, and that he is faithful. God is not a man that he should lie. He can't lie. The other father lies all the time. 
and is out for our destruction. And so Jesus is trying to explain to his disciples what real food is. He's tried to explain before, you guys, all people are worried about what they're going to eat and drink and what they're going to wear. He says the world goes after that. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye God's will. And all of these things will be added unto you. Let's be like Abraham when he came into covenant with God and God said, I will be your shield and your very great reward. That's all he promised Abraham. I'd want to say, the contract looks a little short, Lord. (laughs) I need more details. Well, living by faith is not detail-oriented. It's relationship-oriented to God as a loving father. And because he won't withhold his son, he won't withhold anything else. He knows we have needs of all of these earthly things for us to survive as a human being. But what he wants us to do is live in eternity and to live with him and to be used for his purposes while we're on this foreign land here. Abraham said he's on a foreign land. He's a stranger just passing through. As did all those Old Testament saints and the ones we see in the New Testament were just passing through. That's why more and more, more and more, to me, America's becoming a foreign land. Now, you can say, oh, well, you've got immigration, you've got all the taxes, you've got all this and all these kind of... No, it's not about that. For me, America's becoming a foreign land is because... It's taken me so doggone long to remember, to just get bigger and bigger, the picture and vision in my mind that this is not my home. Abraham journeyed as a foreigner, as a stranger, because he believed in a better place. And more and more I believe heaven is so much better than the splendors of this world. Why? Because God is better. And so I start to understand a little bit more why Paul said, I count everything else as dung and rubbish and everything else. I just don't put anything of value on it because there's something better. It's better. So I'm going to use these things for the kingdom, but the better thing is coming. And it's coming quick, people, isn't it? It's amazing. I love Bree and, <laughs> and Leah on the trip. We were talking And they said, man, since we turned 30, time is going so fast. (laughs) And I'm thinking, oh, my Lord. (laughs) They must think I got a, you know, sundial as far as time is going for me. It was great. And you should have heard those girls sing in St. Anne's Church, a crusader church by the Pool of Bethesda. Oh, if we could get it out. Oh, And Leah's got this little hood on like she's a little monk there. And this... (laughs) her voice and singing and so we were worshiping with them and we were in there by ourselves and then a whole group came in we didn't know about behind us and sang a little bit as we walked out they were just thanking the girls for that it was just a precious precious thing Um, but all of us we're looking all and we're moving in buses and hotels and all that it was like a temporary life in a strange land and yet at home at the same time in the holy land Uh, but we know there's something better and that better is eternal. In this world that where it rots and it rusts and it gets stolen is nothing. It's absolutely nothing. 
And this is what he continues to try to explain to the disciples, that they will have divine desires, that they will have God's will as their desires. And the more you love the Lord, the more his desires just well up inside you to obey him and follow him. The more you feed on God's word and put it into practice and see these wonderful results of his work in that, um, it's just, it's food for your soul. It's that peace that goes beyond all understanding. And so it really comes down to how much every single day will you make the choice of which father you're going to obey. Even as Christians, we fall into the trap and we obey the father of lies at times. And I explained at the early uh, church, um, to me it's like I take the bait and I get a hook in my jaw when I fall for a temptation of this world. And, and I'll substitute a temptation, the bread of this world, for a spiritual thing. And I get caught. And thank God for repentance and healing and and that, and Jesus tried to guide us in these things. That's why he gave us the prayer to the disciples as he shared. What did he share? This is how you pray, disciples. Our Father. You've got a Father. You've got a very, very good Father who art in heaven you know, and holy is his name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he says, this is what you pray to your holy, heavenly Father. Lord, your will on earth today, like it is in heaven. And I know your will gets done instantly in heaven. So Father, Lord, I want your will today on earth. This earth and its splendor, who keeps trying to substitute itself for you and your kingdom, Lord, I want your will in the midst of this foreign place called earth. I want your will. That's what we feed on. Then he says, Go ahead and ask for your bread. <laughs> Go ahead and ask for your daily bread. But keep walking in the kingdom. Forgive others the way I've forgiven you. And then, as you're doing the will, as you are being guided by me, lead me not into temptation. The tempter's there offering the whole world to me, Lord. But don't lead me away from temptation and deliver me from this evil father, this terrible, murderous, lying father. That's what God asks us to pray to help us. You see where he put the priority? The fatherhood of God, the holiness of God, the will of God, and the will of God being done on earth, the will of God being done in your life and then your earthly needs. Do you see the priority there? But it's so, we struggle with that at times, don't we? Because we put the earthly needs as the highest and then we'll give a little bit of time to God and we wonder why we struggle. God doesn't want you to struggle. God wants you to have peace all the time. God wants you to walk with him. God wants to see you have him working in your life, seeing wondrous things happen in your life. And I don't have time to go through all of them. But he says we've got to identify with him. That's why he gave us Galatians um, 2.20. And let me read that to you real quick. Our time is short here. How do I identify with Christ? How do I say no to Satan? And just yes to God all the time. Well, you die to self. You die to your own desires. You die to the earthly desires. I am crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body or in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. I die to these earthly desires that come and that I'm tempted with. And I just say no. 
This is not something super spiritual here that is mystical. It's you and I making a choice every day which father we will serve. You just make the choice. And you'll make the choice by what you believe. If you believe that God is who he said he is through the Lord Jesus Christ and that he can meet every need in your life and he said, seek the kingdom and I'll give you all the rest that you need, you really believe that? You'll do it. If you don't believe it, if you don't believe God will meet your needs, you'll, you'll feed at the table of Satan and you'll obey him. You make your choice by what you believe. That's why Jesus kept talking about believe, believe, trust me, trust me, I'll do it. I won't break my promise. I'll be there. I'll do it. And many of you have found that to be true over and over again. I don't have time to go into Daniel and how he stayed faithful and how he identified with God and wouldn't eat at the king's table. He identified, I've got a king already, I've got a God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I will not bow down to that statue. I will not. I serve a living God. End of the fire. Daniel, I will pray. You say we're not supposed to pray. I'll stand in a window and pray because there's no way I'm not praying to my God. That's my life. That's my food. Into the lion's den. But I will not identify with you, king, even though you're the strongest man on the face of the earth, more power in your kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar. I, will, I serve a God that's alive and he's my father, just the way he's the father of Abraham. And so we, as people of faith, are like Abraham, and we continue to travel. What about you? What about your choices? Now remember, all this time that Jesus is sharing with him about the food um, that he's eating and God's doing God's will, these people keep approaching Jesus. And this woman is leading them out. And he's going to share with them. Jesus ends up staying a couple of days there. More people get saved. More people eat the spiritual food that he's offering to them. Um, and these Samaritans, I wonder what the, the disciples are thinking about. Boy, look at these mixed breed people. Um, they've got the same father as us now. That's one of the reasons I have such a joy when I travel to different countries and see, get to share the gospel and hear the gospel with the missionaries teaching that. And what I see is we've all got the same father. We've all got the same gospel. We've all got the same covenant. And it works. And it's a thrill to see God do stuff everywhere. That's why I'm not afraid to go to these places. Every now and then I get a little concerned in that and thank God for praying in tongues about different things. But basically I'm at peace most of the time. Sometimes it'd be easier if I just went by myself, if I wasn't responsible for all the people. But that's God's given me the people to love and get to show Christ to, and we all get to experience it together. Your Heavenly Father is not done with you. Your Heavenly Father wants to feed you spiritually and in the natural. But you have to make a choice. If you will do that, you'll be a light to the world and salt to the world. Other people have planted and watered and you'll be part of the harvest of people coming into the kingdom. But it all comes from the choice of I want to eat in my father's table. I want to do his will. And I'll close with this. 
We had many wonderful things happen in Israel. Uh, and it's just not because of Israel. It's because people came prepared to hear from God. We had talked about it and prayed about it and studied all the group. And their, their hearts were right and they were seekers and they were seeking God in spirit and in truth. So when we got to go to the different places we saw in Scripture, it really it talks about coming alive, but it's all happening in your imagination and in your heart because you're looking at dirt and rock many times. And the wonderful thing about having God as your Father that He is always doing something in your life, always sustaining you, always helping you. Little things to big. And that we had been... The first day there, which is another story I won't share about a lady and my wife ended up, lady got sick and Jill, the last thing I did was wave at Jill in the ambulance as she was hoping up an IV bottle for this lady in the EMT and off they go. And I said, I'll see you somewhere in Israel. <laughs> it's not a big country, but it's big enough. <laughs> but I knew the father was with them because they served the father. And we had been to Mount Grazim over Shechem, over this very spot here where Jesus had talked with the lady at, uh, at the well. And we had gone to Shiloh where the tabernacle was and saw the foundations and we would prayed at Shiloh and it was wonderful that people just sought the Lord. I spoke a little bit, Sean spoke some, but we just let people hear from God because my father's got a voice. And people live by every word that proceeds out of our God's mouth. And I said, God, you got to talk to people. you got to help them. you got to encourage them. Feed them, Lord. And he did. And we had a great time at Shiloh, back on the bus, over to the Sea of Galilee, and onto a boat on the Sea of Galilee. And we're excited. My mind keeps drifting back to the hospital, to my wife and this lady. Um, but things were working out there. We were in contact with them. And so here we go out in the Sea of Galilee. And there's other boats out there. Obviously, it's a favorite place for the believers to go. And uh, the captain of the boat there who owned it was a believer, wonderful messianic believer, and had a keyboard, and we got to worship the Lord. And Sean gave us the teaching there, our guide, and uh, had us hold up our hands to the hillside and look at that, and he said, Jesus did 90% of her work between your hands there on those hillsides. 90% of what he did was right there. And we were looking and we were talking about the difference stories and scriptures and, and singing some. It was just a wonderful time and the lake got like a tabletop. And they shut the motor off and we just drifted there and we worshipped. And then we had the privilege of this wonderful thing happening. Um, they called Jerry Gann up who came on the trip. He was a friend of Lanine Berry. They'd been dating for a few years. And Jerry was going to share a story about fishing, because he's a fisher guy. And so then he asked Lenine, he said, come up and let me share this, share this story with me. And she didn't want to, I don't know, I want to talk about fishing and that. And she didn't want to, finally, wonderful godly woman that she is, she came down and stood beside him. And then he knelt down and pulled out an engagement ring out of his pocket. And he handed it to Lenine. And we all started to cry. And after making him kneel down two more times to take more pictures, <laughs> I felt like a Japanese tourist. 
all this sushi was, that's another story. And, and so everybody's crying. And of course, Lenine's mother there, Alice is there and Ray, and they're crying. They had no clue. And so I, I walked up to Lenine and I said, you've got to share about the goodness of the Lord. She said, I can't, you know, here's this pause. I can't, Bruce. And I said, Lenine, you need to glorify the Lord. And she took a microphone and this is what she said. My husband passed away in 2010 with cancer. We had been married for 32 years. And when he died, I thought I was done. Done. But Lenine didn't turn from the table of the Lord and go to the table of the enemy. She stayed true to God, stayed involved in that. And she said, I thought I was done. I could never find another man like my husband who was so good to me. But I have. I found another man, another good man. You see, when God is your father, you're never done. God knows your needs. He'll meet them in the physical, but your true appetites and the appetites that need to grow in your life is your appetite for God and his will in your life. You will be satisfied. Make a choice. Which father do you choose? Would you stand with me? And those who are going to pray, if they'd come on down. So we ask you, if you've never asked God to be your father by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is your chance. And boy, is it your chance. It's been real clear. We've explained it to you. You have one of two fathers. Many of us in here have switched fathers and been adopted into a wonderful family through Jesus Christ. And our Heavenly Father has never left us or forsaken us. Our desire is for you, through faith in Christ, to have a Heavenly Father. And any other needs that you have for it. But I encourage every person in here just standing at your seat, to say, I choose you, Father. Help me with my appetites. I choose to die and be crucified with Christ, that I might live with you and have your desires and your appetites. Come forward and let us pray for you. Make my heart an altar, Lord, I give it now to you to hold. Make my heart an altar to your name. Make my heart an altar.
blessing is the gift of your son and your presence in our life Father. let us dine with you lord and we ask these things in christ's name amen and amen god bless <laughs>